Hi! Welcome to Plenty Plenty Zuzu. I'm Steph. And I'm Connor. This is the podcast where every week we introduce a plant species and an animal species to our hypothetical zoo and botanical gardens. And this week we have got another Planty Planty interview view. And this is really exciting because this is the first Planty Planty interview view that isn't recorded at Bird Fair. And we've got an amazing guest for our first one. We're really, really excited about this. But before we introduce them, we've had quite an exciting week, haven't we, Steph? We have. It's been really, really fun. A highlight for me would be when we went and helped out our friend Abby with her Bristol Harbour cleanup. With the charity... Bristol, Bristol Harbour cleanup, cleanup. <laughs> <laughs> or is it clean up Bristol Harbour? Oh no, it might be that one. It might be. Oh well, we helped um, for a Bristol Harbour cleanup for clean up Bristol Harbour, and that meant that we got to go on a really cool boat with nets and sticks and poke around and pull rubbish out of the river, which felt very good and was very fun. And miraculously, neither of us fell in. Yeah, I'm really surprised, and I was a little bit worried about you. And there was a point where someone was trying to lean over to get some rubbish and they took the, like, there's a little chain keeping us on. There's like a little chain down the side and he unhooked it. And then I looked at you, my fiance who can't swim. And I was like, oh, no, just hook that back on. <laughs> Thank you. You may well have saved my yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate I that. <laughs> and then straight from that boat related activity, we went to another boat adjacent activity. Boat adjacent. We yeah. saw Life of Pi at the theatre at the Hippodrome, didn't we? Yeah. And if you don't know, a lot of it is in a boat. Arguably, it's the most famous bit about the plot mm. that there is a boy, or in this case, in this show, a girl mm. in a boat. Yeah. With a tiger. Yeah. And it's genuinely, I think, one of the best things I've ever seen on stage because they didn't put a real tiger into the theatre, disappointingly. <laughs> but it was puppets and those puppets were brilliant, weren't they? They were so realistic. They were really, and so like that was just part of the delight of seeing this particular play was like you really you kind of were completely absorbed in believing they were real animals because the way they moved the sounds they made it like normally when there's puppets on stage I spend a lot of time just watching the puppeteer being like you look really silly but this time I didn't I only watched him like twice because it was just so realistic it was really good yeah it was absolutely amazing it was just visuals brilliant acting was brilliant the first half is decidedly more fun than the second half I will say if you've never seen or read Life to Pie before, it's fairly harrowing, just to, to warn you. Yeah. But it was brilliant. It was amazing. We bought the book so we can read that yeah. because I went in completely blind and was blown away. And we had really good... Normally, we, we like going to a theatre, but we always obviously have to buy the cheapest tickets. So we're normally like back right of the upper circle, which is still pretty good. Yeah. But this time we, we had vouchers. Stalls. We yeah. were in stalls. It was wonderful. I had some money to burn. Uh, money. Yeah. I mean, theatre tokens. <laughs> Thank you, birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was really, really, really fun. And I have had another exciting week as well because I've been doing recruitment for the Festival of Nature Youth Panel. So I'm working with the Natural History Consortium who organises the Festival of Nature in Bristol They do a week-long festival exploring nature and celebrating all things natural world. And this year, I am their youth panel coordinator. So we are bringing in a group of young people to help run events at the festival and kind of make sure that we're engaging loads of young people. It's going to be so amazing. Yeah, it's really exciting. So we're actually starting to see it shape. I've got the first meeting very, very soon. So we have to find our young people and actually get them on board. So that's really exciting. I'm hoping it's going to be absolutely amazing. And we're going to do some really, really good stuff at the festival in June. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And that brings us on to our guest today. From talking about some amazing young people that are going to help shout about the natural world, I'm going to introduce another amazing young person that helps to shout about the natural world. So our guest today is Henry Day 
who you may know as the presenter on his own YouTube channel, Naturetastic with Henry. Now, Henry is 10 years old and he is a youth ambassador for his local wildlife trust and he presents videos on his own YouTube, Naturetastic with Henry, that he started over lockdown where he was creating videos in his garden to send to his grandparents because he couldn't see them. And then lockdown lifted and he started creating these videos out in nature, in different nature reserves around him, and then sent some in too. Let's go live with Maddie and Greg, who asked for viewers to send in their nature films, and it has just grown from there. So he is a brilliant content creator, a brilliant voice for the natural world, and we're really excited to talk to him. Yeah. So I think let's get stuck in. Hello, welcome to Plants Plants Zuzu. Henry? Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. We were just saying we've had a lovely naturey day, haven't we? We've been walking. What have you been up to? Um, I had a sleepover and then I've had rugby today. Oh, oh lovely. You are busy. Yeah. <laughs> we just went and saw some goats. <laughs> yeah, that makes me feel lazy. <laughs> yeah. Sunday morning rugby. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. So as you know, Henry, Planty Planty Zuzu is an imaginary zoo and botanic garden. So me and Steph just fill it full of different creatures, different plants that we like. And we decide how we're going to show those amazing things off to the public in this amazing zoo slash garden but we are also in need of staff so the first question we're going to ask Henry is if you could have any job at all working in a zoo or a botanic garden which job do you think you would like to have? Well most months I go to safari school at Woburn Safari Park where I help with feeding, mucking out and enrichment for the animals so I would like to be head of enrichment at Plunge Plunge Zoo Zoo so I can be quite creative and playful and make lots of interesting things for the animals to do. Enrichment is really important to stimulate the animals' brains and prevent them from becoming bored. So, to help keep their skills or food gathering maintained, this is what I would like to do. That's brilliant. That is fantastic. That is a great job. Yeah, um, and we don't have someone there yet. No. So perfect. We don't have to kick anyone out. <laughs> fire anyone to let you in. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. So, you say you do... You do safari school at Woburn? Uh, yes. That's incredible. That's the kind of thing I always wanted to do as a kid. That sounds really interesting. I've not heard of it before. What do you do when you go there normally? Um, so we go there and we kind of help and do different bits. And then at the end of the day, we have a little look around the safari park. And if it's clear, we'll go for a drive around. And Oh, that's so nice. Um, what a lovely thing to, yeah. Yeah, to do. What kind of things have you have you ended up making through safari school? I've got a couple of notes here. So for the monkeys, we covered pine cones and jam, then seeds. And I made a mistake whilst doing this. I had my hair in my eyes, so I went like that and brushed my hair back and got jam all in my hair. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, the monkeys would have liked you. Yeah. <laughs> and I've also carved out pumpkins and smeared honey in the inside around Halloween and put a fish in the top. Ooh. Who was that for? For a bear? Bears. Oh, nice. Nice. That's really cool. So I think enrichment's really fun. Like you say, it means you can be really, really creative. For Christmas, for our meerkats, we made a little Christmas tree out of willow. 
Um, we got some of our volunteers at work to make a, a nice little Christmas tree and then covered it in crickets and vegetables and things like that. And the meerkats absolutely loved it. Cool. Covered it in crickets. Did you like glue them on or were they just... No, we just popped them on. Oh, okay. they, were... <laughs> they didn't stay on there for very long. I don't long. know why it sounded really, really horrible. I thought you were like gluing dead crickets mm, to a tree. Not quite. Um, if I'm allowed, am I allowed to introduce a plant and an animal? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell you what, I've got, if it's okay, we've got a few more questions before we get into that. Is that all right? So you've introduced yourself as head of enrichment, which I think is a fantastic job. But you don't just do safari school, do you? You, you use quite a lot of other things to help talk about nature, don't you, Henry? Yes. And so, I mean, as part of a job interview, I think we tend to always get asked about what kind of skills and things we have that help us do that job. So Head of Enrichment might also need to talk to people about why what they do is important. So can you tell us about some of the things where you've been talking to people, Henry? I mean, for, for a 10 year old, you do a lot. Well, I make short films on my YouTube channel for people. They're called Naturetastic with Henry. I started during lockdown and now... I make videos for people about UK wildlife and different bits. I'm a junior wildlife ambassador for the Wildlife Trust, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Northamptonshire. So I make videos for them. So I've made uh, how to act responsibly in nature reserves one and things like that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of your videos. I love your videos, Henry. You're really brilliant. I really like the one of you up at Bempton oh, yeah. when you're talking about the gannets. Yeah, that was fun. The noise of it is just incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's another place I've, I really want to go. I've started to get really into birds. I'm kind of planning all these trips to these different places to go and see some of these amazing birds that we get here. He's stolen uh, my binoculars. You ha- I have. They're gone. Yeah, they're our binoculars now. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that you're teaching people how to behave correctly at these places because I think a lot of people, they don't, they don't mean to do the wrong things when they're around nature. They're not used to it, almost. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, nice to t- it's really nice that you're teaching them. Yes. I mean, how did you decide to start doing these videos? How old were you when you started up your Naturetastic videos? I was six when I started. Wow. That's amazing. And what made you want to get started? Was it How did you get into nature? Is it just something you've always sort of liked? Yeah, I've always been out in the garden, feeding the birds and things. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, a lot of the ways I got into nature was my dad would take me lots and lots of mm. nature places on the weekends. And so you just get used to seeing it and being kind of happy there. Yeah. And then that carries on, really. Yeah, I always went to the zoo as a as, as a child as well. And that's why, that's where my kind of love for zoos came from. Mm. That just, that's what you do from a young age. It's, it's fantastic to, to kind of get into it. It carries on, usually. I don't want to what you said, Connor. I love visiting nature reserves and zoos. One of the ones that I really like going to is Hamilton Zoo. And they've got a feather box, so they put feathers in there and you can take them and take them home and make a donation. Oh, wow. See, <laughs> I want to go there. Yeah. So I've got scarlet ibis, blue and gold macaw feathers. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's that's incredible. We always do that. We go around zoos and we see a, a bird feather in an enclosure and we're like, oh, we need to find a keeper, see if we can yeah. have it. And we never do. But, oh, that's such a good idea. Maybe more yeah, zoos. That's we amazing. We should have that. Yeah. Planty Planty Zoo Zoo, yeah. introduced by Henry. Yeah, I think that's... Henry the Enrichment Lead. Yeah, Henry's Feather Box, I think. Henry's Feather yeah, Box. Yeah, there we go. Yay! <laughs> that's a really nice idea. I like that. Yeah. Again, Hamilton Zoo, I really, really want to go to because it's... They've got some amazing types of animals there. They've got loads of different ones. What's your favourite one there when you go? Probably the harvest mice. They're just always active. Oh, yeah, oh, they're fun a... to watch. 
I, I guarantee, I bet most people don't even look at them, notice them because no. they're a small thing. They're not a, a big cat or anything like that. So a lot of people might walk past them. So at Hamilton, they're next to the the wooden ice cream shop and they're in a wooden enclosure. <laughs> so it, it looks like it's another ice cream thing. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Really That's cool. how you get attention. Yeah. You go, oh, is this ice cream? No, it's mice. What if we design a lot of our enclosures to just look like there's like really good food in there, like a donut shop? <laughs> I mean, and me sprinting up to it. it yeah, I was going to say, like draw us in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, amazing. I think my last question before we get on to what you want to add to Planty Planty Zuzu is with all these different videos you make, you've been going all across the country and you said you were, you've were you seen Gants with Bempton. What has been your best wildlife experience, you think? I think either Namibia or... On the Isle of Mull. Oh. In Namibia, we saw lions, hyenas, giraffes. Oh, I'm so jealous. That's incredible. <laughs> and then in Mull, we saw a mother and baby otter feeding, playing and then going to sleep together. Oh. And the white-tailed eagles were just amazing. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. That's so, we're just going to start a list of all the things we need to go now. <laughs> wow, that's absolutely incredible. Right. Oh, I, tell me more about Mull. So what, <laughs> what were the, I, I tried to move on and I was like, no, we need to talk about Mull. So um, when we got there, we drove to our cottage and the next day we went to Tobermory to do our first trip with Nature Scotland. And this is when we saw the otters on our second day on Mull. And every day we went out to the same point and saw one or two white-tailed eagles flying over. And on our penultimate day, I think it was, I went with Dave Sexton, who's the RSPB White-tailed Eagle Warden, to so he could show us some of the nests and talk to us about the white-tailed eagles. That's so cool. Oh, you've just given me a, a long, long list of things to go and do now, because that all sounds <laughs> absolutely amazing. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for telling us about those. That's fantastic. So you're already going to be a little bit cheeky. You're going to add an animal and a plant, but I think we'll let you off. Especially we need more plants. We do, to be fair. there is We're leaning a lot towards the animals People now. People <laughs> so many animals. I need more plants and plant bits. That's very yeah. good. <laughs> okay, so in that case, you get started. Do you want to introduce your plant first, Henry? Am I allowed to introduce my animal to not give my animal away? Yeah, yeah. go for it. Absolutely. So I had a few ideas for which animal to put in Planty Planty Zuzu. Originally, I thought Red Panda because it's my favourite animal. But lots of zoos already have them. White-tailed eagle came to mind next because they were so impressive when I saw them on the Isle of Mull with Greenfinger George and Jack Wildey on the Nature of Scotland tour. So I've chosen another of my favourite animals. It's an animal that only exists in one zoo outside of its endemic country. Ooh. Shall I describe it to you? Yes, yes. absolutely, yes. The males are about 50 centimetres long and females are 43 centimetres long. It has a chunky body with webbed feet on each corner, and it has a beaver-like tail. Its main feature is its duck-like bill. Do you know what it is? Is it a platypus? Yay! That's amazing. Oh, he's gorgeous. Oh, I'm so excited. See, now I can be really smug and say I've seen one in the wild. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my time to shine. Have you seen one before? Uh, no, 
But I am a bit jealous about my VR teacher because she went out to Australia on holiday and she went with the Indigenous people and they showed her a duckbill cadfish in the wild. That's amazing. I did that. I went to a place called Yungaburra, which is near, near Cairns in tropical North Queensland, and it was my birthday. And so my best friend took me up there. And it was really strange because there was like a, a platypus viewing area and it was like a big wooden board with an eye hole cut out. But we looked and we could see a turtle, like a river turtle, but no platypus. <laughs> and then she took me underneath this busy road bridge and we walked along a bit. And then we come across this river. There are a few other people there. And we saw one platypus, like a young one. And it was like, it was amazing because I never thought I'd see one in the wild. And I used to read these animal wildlife books, the animal arc books. Yeah. And they had one about a platypus. And I was like, wow, I'll never get to see that. And then I just saw it and it was like, you'd know when it was going to come out of this murky river because there'd be loads of bubbles and then suddenly it would come up and like swim along and go down. So it's really cool. I'm sure you'll get to see one. That's amazing. That's not very big. No, 50 centimetres. I was just thinking that's so much smaller than I thought they were. Yeah. You thought they were like beaver sized. Oh, I mean, that would be terrifying. (laughs) I didn't think they were quite that big. I learned lots more about platypuses and other Australian animals from Jack Ashby, who is the Assistant Director of the Museum of Zoology in Cambridge. He gave me a great talk about how they aren't weird or unevolved, they are fascinating! Yeah. <laughs> He's also trying to get Platypup adopted as a name for a platypus cub. Oh, that's very cute. That would be wonderful. That's like Pango Pup. Pango Pup, yeah, I think. Platypup. More things need to be pups. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I've read Jack Ashby's book about platypuses. It's really, really good. I've got that book as well. Nice. No, it's, it, I like it a lot. He talks about how when platypuses are shown off in museums, they're often shown off as really different shapes because people had never seen them before, so they didn't know what they looked like when they were making the museum specimens, mm. which I find quite interesting. They made them more fat. Though. Yeah, they're, so they're all like really... Over, it just looks like a proper balloon because they kind of stuff it too much. I've got a couple of other facts. Do you want me to share them? Absolutely. Please them. do. They are near threatened on the IUCN red list. Not too bad. <laughs> Males have a venomous spur on their back right leg which is very rare for mammals, but it's mainly used for defence and they mainly produce the venom during the mating season. Although powerful enough to paralyse smaller animals, the venom is not lethal to humans, but it does produce excruciating pain that may be intense enough to incapitate the victim that can persist for months, but usually just lasts for a few days to a few weeks. Oh, a few weeks. Yeah. That's still quite, still quite a bit. I wouldn't want to get stung. I'm surprised it can hurt. Maybe they're quite shy. Maybe they don't hurt people very much. Yeah, you feel like you'd hear about it more. They are monotreme, which means they are an egg-laying mammal. How strange I hear you say. <laughs> well, the platypus and the four species of echidna they're all monotremes. They use electrolocation, which is their sixth sense. They use sensors on their bills to pick up electrical pulses produced by their prey so they can find them in the murky water where they live. That makes sense. That's amazing. It's just like, they're already strange enough in how they look. So they already look really different to everything else. But then there's so much more about them that's really strange. Yeah. Like, there's, it's not just that they look really strange. They've got a beaver's tail and a duck's bill and all of this. It's then that they, they've got a venomous spur. Then they can sense electricity. It's They're so, so strange. And they're absolutely amazing. I'm so glad we have. 
now am I allowed to move on to platypuses in Planty Planty Zoo Zoo? Of yes, course you can. Absolutely. Only one zoo outside of Australia, San Diego Zoo, has ever managed to successfully keep platypuses. So, Planty Planty Zoo Zoo is the ideal zoo as we can create the perfect but hypothetical environment for them. <laughs> yeah. So, my ideas for an enclosure. They live in and around murky waters and have burrows that can be up to 20 metres long. Wow. So we need to find a clever way to show them off. My ideas are a glass-fronted burrow so you can see in. Mm, love that. Like zoos do with penguins, windows into the water and a glass tunnel like in aquariums. Oh, that'd be amazing. That'd be so cool. Above water, a nice muddy scrape for, for Australian wading birds, which can fit to the Australian theme. That oh, sounds perfect. Yeah, we'd love to get some birds in there. That's fantastic. Yeah. You'd get birds in everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, Henry. It's really smart ideas. I guess the murky water means that when people walk through tunnels, they might it'll be more exciting, wouldn't it? Because you'd have to wait and like look out for them. And yeah. That would be so, so cool. Oh, I love that idea. That's really, mm. that's absolutely brilliant. You feel like you're underwater in Australia. Mm. Make it really hot and I'll, I'll stay there. Yeah. I'll, I'll, sit, I'll make a bed in the tunnel. <laughs> that's fantastic. So that's all my platypus facts. I love them. That Thank was, you for adding a platypus. Yeah, I, I'm so happy about that. We've been talking about wanting to put one in for a while, haven't we? So yeah. I'm glad you have. Because I'm so glad. It's one incredible. of my favourites, I yeah. think. Yeah, it's, it's right up there with snails. Snails and killer whales. Yeah. Snail, snails, killer whales and platypuses are yeah. your top three. I think they might be, yeah. It's a good top three. Thank you. I saw a killer whale on on the Azores. Oh, wow! Oh, I'm so... I would love to see killer whales. I've seen snails. Pick. <laughs> <laughs> see the purpose. I've not seen, not seen killer whales at all, but I see them on TV a lot, you know, in all the documentaries. Yeah. So I'm hoping one day we'll be able to get on a boat mm. and go have a look. <laughs> So for a plant, I've got a backstory to this. Oh, Perfect, yes. we love a story we about a plant, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Steph is immediately very happy. <laughs> so whilst I was searching for facts about the platypus, I found about an unusual plant from Namibia. Ooh. In 1863, Joseph Hooker, who was the director of the Royal Botanical Gardens, Kew, in London, described the plant as the most wonderful plant ever brought to this country and the very ugliest. <laughs> wonderful and ugly. <laughs> That's perfect. Charles Darwin described it as the platypus of the plant kingdom. Oh. <laughs> Or it would be good to suggest it. Yeah. The plant is Wilwitchia marabilis. And I'm hoping Steph can tell me more about it. Oh, no. <laughs> but they look quite odd with only two leaves, which can grow up to three metres long and lay on the floor. Actually, we're looking yeah. at a photo of it now. Yeah, that's, that is very, very strange. Yeah, that's really cool. It's that funny they really call it ugly, strange. isn't it? Because it doesn't look super ugly. It's just like... You know, like Henry said, it's just the two long leaves on the ground. I've got a fun fact for you about it. Oh, go Ooh, for yes, it. please. They can live for 3,000 years. Wow. What? One, one of those plants can live for 3,000 years. That's amazing. I wonder if the leaves ever disappear and they have to come back up or if it's just the same plant stays out of the ground. Maybe, I'm not sure. 
No, that's really, really cool. Oh, look at that. There's loads. <laughs> yeah, they can get huge. Oh, they're massive. We were just looking at little Yeah, pictures. we must have been looking at saplings. <gasps> because wow. <sighs> yeah, they are weird looking, to be fair. Imagine if you were the director of Q and you had like this massive... <laughs> Just these two massive leaves yeah. turn up in the post. <laughs> you must get that a lot, like weird packages of plants. Yeah. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. And they only ever have two leaves. So now we've got to decide where they're going to go and plant a Suzu. I think the fact you said Namibia, mm. very instantly it'll be good in, you know, like an Africa section. Yeah, that's a good point. The area is arid, almost zero rainfall. Wow. Yeah. Oh, people eat it. They eat it raw or bake it. And in some places it's known as Onyanga, which translates to onion of the desert. Oh, That's quite they, fun. Maybe they eat it quite a lot. Yeah. I like that it's known as the platypus of the plant world. That's... Yeah, I really like that. We'll have to do a bit of research and maybe we can just add a, add a little bit on. Yeah. But that sounds really cool. Thank you for including that as well. No, I like that a bonus plant. Yeah. You're very happy. I'm really happy. A bonus plant. People always want to do just animals, so I'm really happy that Henry <laughs> wanted to bring a plant to planty Zuzu as well. That's very, very cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic right i think i think that's enough to wrap up unless you've got anything else to add henry uh no that's everything i think oh, great fantastic so you're our new um enrichment manager head of enrichment head of enrichment already so you're already giving so them a demotion stuff no I, just, I never know the order of these <laughs> jobs i'm freelance i'm whatever yeah. i call myself uh oh. head of everything yeah head of enrichment that's a fantastic job yeah uh, are really really useful i think so thank you so much for joining us today henry thank you for adding two incredible species and being our new head of enrichment yeah uh, thanks very much thank you so that was our chat with henry and i'm so glad that henry decided to come on the podcast because I had so much fun talking to him. He was just absolutely brilliant. He was delightful. It was just, yeah, it was so fun. It's fun to do a different kind of interview as well and we'll hopefully be doing a bunch more. Yeah, absolutely. And he added some really brilliant things to the podcast and came up with an amazing job as well. Head of enrichment, I think that's a mm. really valuable thing for Azu to have. So yeah, just an absolutely massive, massive thank you to you, Henry, for coming on the podcast and for being really, really brilliant. And you asked us to pop in a little bit more information about the plant and the animal that you added. So I think we've each got a little bit of information to add. The plant was amazing. It was so interesting. It's so, so cool. But Henry added the platypus before he added the platypus plant. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with the animal. And then we can come on to your amazing, interesting plant. Sounds good, I suppose. <laughs> so the platypus is a really cool, really interesting animal. And it's got quite a strange name as well. So I looked into platypus, yeah. why it's called a platypus. It's from Greek, like quite a lot of animal names, and it means flat foot. Hmm. But its scientific name, Ornithorhynchus anatinus, literally means duck-like bird snout, oh. which I really enjoy. Why but... is there a whole phrase for duck-like bird snout? <laughs> <laughs> Latin, man. <It's> just... <laughs> They were just like, let's cover all bases. The German of the olden times. You know, because there's a word in German for everything. Oh yeah, fair point. I was like, what are you talking about? One big thing with platypuses is nobody ever knows if it should be platypuses. Mm. Technically, yes, it's probably platypuses. It can be platypodes, if we're going with Ooh. Greek. Mm. One thing it definitely isn't... Platypi? Platypi. Oh. No, that is wrong. And I, I'm i exactly the kind of person to be quite obnoxious about this whenever some, I hear somebody say platypi or like octopi. It's an overgeneralization from Latin or whatever. It's applying a rule wrong. 
And we shouldn't do it. And we shouldn't do it. There are rules for a reason. They keep words fun. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we talked a little bit in that chat with Henry about Jack Ashby's book talking about platypuses in museums and things like that and how they were always taxidermied a little bit dodgily so mm. they were sometimes a bit flatter or a bit fatter Platypus or fatipus. Yes, which I, I love that that's so a thing satisfying. It's brilliant But actually that's basically becomes because nobody had ever seen them before in the UK museums where they were being taxidermied mm. and so when it was actually first encountered in 1798 by Europeans they sent a sketch back with a pelt and British scientists thought it was a hoax They were just like, no, this is absolutely not a real animal it can't be it's got this duck's beak it's got the body of a beaver these people have just sewn them together so they literally chopped up that skin to look for these stitches and so there are some specimens out there that you can actually see these kind of scissor marks that have been used to cut this animal apart and check for stitches or, or any kind of foul play because they genuinely just didn't believe it was a real animal wow and so they thought this animal was a product of tomfoolery, but Aboriginal people told a completely different story that a platypus was created in a very different way. Mm. And they said in one of their folk stories that the platypus was created after a female duck had babies with a water rat. Ew. So the babies had her bill and her webbed feet, but they had the water rat's handsome fur and four legs. And all the animals were so disgusted that they banished them to the mountains and remote lakes. And that's why you don't see platypuses around that often and they're a bit elusive. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a lot to pick apart there. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing, Henry picked up on some of the really weird features. So he mentioned the venomous spur. He mentioned the electroreception, being able to sense electric pulses. He didn't mention that actually if you shine a black light over a platypus, their fur is biofluorescent. So it actually glows bluish green in blacklight because it was found in Tasmanian Devils in 2020. So I think they tried it with platypi. Oh, Oh, you're going to roll! Satisfying. You can't say anything to me ever again. <laughs> Gonna keep that one locked away. Do you want to need it? Remember that time you said platypie? Yeah, shut up. Nobody else will because I remove it in the edit. No, don't do that. <laughs> so they shone this light over this platypus and found that that glows as well. And the theory is that it helps with camouflage against predators that might be able to see in UV if platypuses absorb UV and emit this kind of blue-green light instead, which I think is mad. It's amazing, yeah. As if it wasn't weird enough, strange enough and incredible enough. Not saying strange is a bad thing here. This is absolutely a a compliment. Now, conservation threats. We said it was near-threatened in the podcast, which isn't as bad as we expected, Mm. but there are quite a few threats. Land clearing, dams, drought, bushfires, climate change, all of these impacts of human activity that are basically resulting in a huge reduction of their habitat. Mm-hmm. But there are quite a few things that are helping to kind of monitor populations and helping to boost them back up. But one I really like is called the Platy Project. And mm-hmm. it's a nationwide citizen science project run by the University of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And they basically ask people to go and just sit by a lake or a creek and look for platypuses. Oh, I'd be so good at that. And then just let people know, fill in the form and let them know if you see one so they can monitor where they are and fill in any gaps in their knowledge because there are so many rivers and creeks and lakes that have never been surveyed that they just don't know if platypuses ever stumble across there, basically. we should go and do that for a year in Australia. That would be absolutely incredible. Well, if there are any Australian listeners, go out and sit by a river and record platypuses that you see. 
Mm. Or don't see and let people know. And final thing that I looked up because we talk about San Diego Zoo, which I absolutely love. San Diego is brilliant. Mm. And they, as Henry said, are the only zoo outside of Australia to have platypuses, which mm. they got in 2019. I looked into them a little bit more and it took them a decade of negotiations with the Australian government Oof. to actually get those platypuses shipped over because historically moving platypuses around has resulted in not healthy platypuses uh. and so it took them a long time to work it out but they've actually got a male and female pair that aren't due to breed but that are called Birarung who's eight years old he's a male and Eve who's 15 years old and she's the female and they've hopefully got quite a few years left because they can live up to about 17 18 in captivity so hopefully they've got a nice long history at the San Diego Zoo. Did you say Eve was 15? Hopefully he's got a nice long history <laughs> at the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> yeah. On that note, <laughs> shall we check out your extra plant facts? Because yes. this is a really cool plant. Yes. So this plant is incredibly interesting. When I was doing a bit of extra research, because, I mean, Henry caught me off guard there. So I hope Steph can tell me what I absolutely can't, (laughs) but I really appreciated his vote of confidence in me. So I actually did a whole ton of research on this just because I got so interested in it. So the Wellwitchia mirabilis, it's endemic to the Namib Desert, bordering the Angolan and Namibian coast in a narrow 1,000 kilometre strip. Okay. So it's just like one band along there. The plants are rarely found more than 100 to 150 kilometres from the coast. And their distribution coincides with the fog belt. So that's where the cold air coming in from the sea meets the hot air coming in from the desert. And it's just like foggy all the time. So they're basically in a strip in the fog. Isn't that cool? So that's like the meshing of those who've created their perfect habitat. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. You can do tours to go see this strip. (gasps) So now I really want to go. Sounds amazing. (laughs) So the naming of this plant I thought was pretty interesting. Austrian botanist and doctor Friedrich Wellwich came across a plant in Angola in 1859. He was so overwhelmed by the plant, so he wrote this down. So pretend I'm Austrian botanist and Dr. Friedrich Welwich, without an accent. I think that's for the best. (laughs) I could do nothing but kneel down and gaze at it, half in fear lest a touch should prove it a figment of the imagination. So he saw this plant and was like, whoa, like couldn't believe his eyes. Just like staring at it. It sounds like the first time I saw a snake's head fritillary. Oh, yeah. I was like on my knees looking at it in Richmond Park. Like, what? (laughs) Did someone come here with a Sharpie? What is this? Like the same. So I think (gasps) he had the same reaction. We're getting back into snake's head fritillary season. We are. (gasps) I know. Oh. So Joseph Dalton Hooker, that's who Henry mentioned earlier on. He's of the Linnaean Society of London, as well as having been in Kew Gardens. And he's the guy that actually described the species. So this I thought was kind of funny in like a not great way. Wellwich, who's the guy that described it out in Angola in 1859, he proposed calling the genus Tumboa after the local Angolan name for the plant, which is mm-hmm. Tumbo. So that's quite good. You're like, yeah, yeah you know what? Progressive. Hooker then went, oh, Wellwich, I love you. Can I name it after you instead? And Wellwich went, well, if you, ha- yeah, if you have to, sh- yeah, good idea. Okay. 
And so they named it after a freaking white man that saw it like way after other people had seen it anyway. Great. So I, yeah, I, I thought I was just like, oh, look at a, look at an old man in history having a stab at doing the right thing and then not. And then just being <laughs> immediately <laughs> shut down. Immediately being like, wait, you mean my name? Okay. And the other cool thing is uh, it's got loads of different names in different languages. Mm -hmm. But in Afrikaans, the name means two leaves can't die. Whoa. Which is cool. I like that. So moving on to the biology, it's very, very unique. It's thought to be a relic from the Jurassic period. So its ancestor was trapped in this environment, which became progressively arid. And all its close relatives have since disappeared. And so then you've just got this one species left and it's like Henry was saying, the only species mm -hmm. of the genus. So yeah. really ancient plant. And two leaves, they can reach up to four metres long each. The whole plant is no more than one and a half metres high, so very close to the ground. The tips of the leaves split and fray into several different sections. So this is partly, like we speculated, due to the wind, but it's also due to its own biology, and it can also be external injury. Okay, so that's why they look like really big bushes, Yeah, because all the leaves split up, but it's still just literally two leaves. Exactly, Amazing. it's two leaves, they just fray and they get shredded. Their general lifespan, so looking at the lifespan was kind of an odd one, I thought, you know, up to 3,000 years, I was like, wow, and um, they think, so there are definitely individuals that are more than 2,000 years old, they think the general like estimated lifespan is 400 to 1,500 years, but it's quite hard to determine, uh, scientists don't think that you can do it off the tree rings, the growth oh, rings. Okay. Yeah, so they do carbon dating instead. Oh. They only germinate if heavy rain occurs for several days. And in the area that they reside in, sometimes it doesn't rain all year. So because of this, loads of plants in the same col colonies are the same age because they germinated in that one wow. good year. Yeah. So once the seedlings are established, they depend on that fog for survival until the next rains occur. Isn't that cool? So you could have like a whole year no rain and you're just relying on the They're fog. They're just like <laughs> out, of the, out the fog. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Looked into how, you know, onion of the desert. Yeah, indigenous people will eat the cone of the plant. And the cone is essentially the reproductive structure that contains the seeds. And okay, where is that in the plant? Is it like, it's like in the stem? Yeah, so there's like a trunk base. Oh, okay. That's the bit that's no more than one and a half metres. And uh, yeah, it's got the reproductive bits. You can eat it raw. You can bake it in hot ashes. So if you do find yourself stranded on the Namib Desert, which I don't think you want, you can just yunk that up and chew it. Oh. So survival knowledge for you. So we're not just a hypothetical zoo podcast. We're a survival we're podcast. Bear grills eat your heart out. Coming at you from a cushy flat in the fanciest part of Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> we are wild and adventurous yeah our kitchen has stairs for no reason that's how you know we're fancy <laughs> <laughs> conservation <laughs> so Wellwitchia is not threatened because there are lots of populations of this plant over a really large area mm -hmm. however oh. has not been assessed by the IUCN red list Boo. so it's always like oh is it all right though the plants in Angola, interestingly, are better protected than those in Namibia because of the relatively high concentration of landmines in Angola. Oh, okay. So this keeps collectors away. Oh. Because they're like, well, I don't want to risk my life yeah. collecting this plant. So that's a kind of odd side effect of human interference yeah, in wow. nature is sometimes areas can be well preserved. However, another however, the continued existence of these plants is not secure as the growth rates and the number of new plants added to these populations are low. 
Yeah. And although its range is wide, it's only in one very specific, very like vulnerable area. Yeah. Like one ecosystem. And so if a, if a load ends up being wiped out, mm. it's going to be really hard to get those numbers back well, exactly. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a disease or something, or if with climate change, if something mm-hmm. changes with the fog belt, you know, is it a lot? Individuals can survive for a really long time, like we were talking about earlier, but they don't have protection against direct threats like overgrazing by there's zebras, rhinos, domestic animals mm-hmm. also don't have protection against disease. There's also an issue of fungal infections in the female combs. The infections will severely reduce seed viability. So this then further reduces the number of plants that can then be added to the population when there's yeah. really good rainfalls lasting for several days. Other threats include injury from off-road vehicles and collection of wild plants. I always think off-road vehicles are really interesting because the people that do that kind of stuff, they're just thinking like, oh, we're out here in the wild, like exploring, doing this cool, crazy stuff. And then whenever I've seen footage, you see them like go over a plant or go over plants and stuff. And you're like, you don't know what that is. You don't know how special it is. So yeah, it's people off-roading and being like, let's drive through these bushes, like not knowing that this is like a super ancient, super old plant. And then to round off, I had a little look about where you could go see it in the world. So to see some, you can go to Kirsten Botch National Botanical Garden in Cape Town, South Africa. They actually have a custom-built Welwitchia house. So that was built, well, completed, and the seeds were sown in 1985. And then in, I think it was 2009, or no, 2013, a portion of the house was made open to the public. So you can actually go see them there. The first plant flowered two years and six months after the seeds were first sown. Can you imagine the excitement that day? I bet they went to the pub. I bet they had a sick time. And then closer to home, we can actually head over to the National Botanic Garden of Wales. Oh, wow. They've got some very little ones there. I don't think they've been growing for very long. So, yeah, very amazing plant, very cool, very unique. And thank you so much, Henry, for finding that because I had never heard of it and it is really cool. Yeah, that's an absolutely amazing find. Thank you again so much to Henry for adding these two brilliant things. I mean, the platypus is something we've wanted to add for a long time, and I think this was a perfect way to do it. And yeah, a new plant that we'd never heard of before. So thank you so much, and thank you everyone for listening again to another Planty Planty interview view. If you like this episode, please let us know, rate, review, subscribe, drop us a message on Instagram if you really liked it or if you have any other ideas for guests that you'd like to come on as we arrange more interviews and things like that, if you want to come on and you've got a really good idea for what you want to add, please let us know. Just drop us a DM because we'd love to chat to... whole range of people. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We'd love to connect with you. We really enjoy our little community that we're, we're slowly building over on social media. So please come hang out with us at Planty Planty Zuzu on Instagram or at Planty Planty Zoo on X. And we also have a rather amazing website built by Connor, plantyplantyzuzu.com. So we've actually got some cool new features coming up there, but go check it out. It's got all our episodes linked to, and it's really groovy. Fabulous. Thank you so much for listening, and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.